You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I'm Jesper. And I'm Autumn. This is episode 108 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. And uh, I think today's topic is very well-timed. You know, we're fresh into 2021 and are all looking ahead to the coming year. And hopefully a year where we can put the worldwide pandemic behind us <laughs> and uh, start thinking about the future a bit. But... Uh, but yeah, if we look 10 years back, uh, you know, 10 years ago or thereabouts, at least indie authors started self-publishing as digital tools like uh, and devices like the Kindle made it possible. Uh, and we have also over the last year or two seen a very big growth in audiobooks. Mm. Um, but I'm going to say that we are yet to see the next true market disruption because <laughs> it's not audiobooks. Instead, I believe that in the coming decade, AI or artificial intelligence will revolutionize the publishing industry. So in today's episode, we're going to unpack this for you and see where it all leads us. It's so exciting. I mean, this is almost like a sci-fi episode, but I guess (laughs) it has something to do with fantasy. (laughs) It's definitely it has to do with uh, marketing and uh, writing and and so on and so on. That's right. In, in a in a different environment and in in a different future. Yes, it'll be. It's definitely something we are going to have to deal with if you pay any attention to some of the news out there on AI. But we'll get to that first. This is really our first. We're recording behind or ahead however you want to say it so for us it's just just the new year and you're back off of your holiday vacation so how are things on your side of the planet yeah i was just just off today actually uh back from vacation i must admit it was a bit difficult to get out of bed this morning <laughs> <laughs> it felt very early when the alarm clock went off <laughs> oh i bet uh it's just getting used to sleeping in uh, so uh <laughs> Uh, so that was, uh, yeah, that was what it was. But uh, it was one of those vacations that didn't really feel like a vacation, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, as we've talked about in previous episodes, uh, we've been moving out of our house and all of that. So we are pretty much settled now in our new place. Uh, but I feel like I need a, no- a new vacation now. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> yeah, we had very much a different type of work on your vacation where you had to resettle the entire house. So yeah, that's a little more challenging than, you know, hanging up Christmas decorations. Yeah, that's true. It was very limited with uh, Christmas decorations because we just didn't have time. <laughs> well, you had lots uh, of boxes. There's just no change. Yeah, and, yeah, that's true. That's true. But they did not look very Christmas-like. <laughs> no, you should have drawn pictures on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, that might have been better. Um, but actually, in between unpacking all those boxes, I did find the time here and there to watch a bit of Netflix. And I actually just yesterday I finished watching that. Uh, new netflix series called alien worlds uh, and i know you saw that one as well Autumn. i did that was pretty interesting what did you think of it i thought it was entertaining more than scientific because coming from an ecologist point of view everything they talked about on earth i'd already known 
and how they applied it to the alien worlds were at times driving me a little crazy because they are overlooking some major things. Especially the last episode, my husband and I were both going, shouldn't there be like ruins? How did this civilization get there? What kind of life is it to just be a brain in this little gel case? We were just like, Gah! but the rest of them were okay. <laughs> what did you think of it? I think it was pretty good inspiration for world building. Mm. Uh, you know, I agree that it, it it might be a bit simplified, and there was some major questions that they sort of just glanced over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also really curious about so that alien civilization in the in the last episode. They explained how it was like a hive mind, right? And and that how they lived forever. And I was really curious about okay, so what does that mean, and and how does that work? So I immediately wanted to start world building that and understand how does that work <laughs> but uh but it, it's it's quite a short show right yeah, i think so four episodes of approximately 50 minutes something like that each so it doesn't take long to watch and i i thought it was quite entertaining and yeah it might be a bit simplified but on the other hand i sort of also liked how they used earth as a starting point yes that was very for useful. The, because yeah, but also because it, it made it a bit uh, educational mm-hmm. at the same time as well for, um, you know, details about Earth that you might not be aware of, which I thought that was pretty nice, actually. Yeah. So it made a good segue. I mean, I do. I love it when they bring up topics like water is weird. <laughs> That's one of my favorite yeah. science topics. Yeah. So it's it is fun to get to to watch that again. So it was it was totally worth it. I highly recommend for people to go and watch it. Yeah. So how about you? How was your, uh, well, I don't even think I could call it vacation for you. but uh. <laughs> I worked every single day, even yeah, Christmas. Oh, yeah. So I've been um, good. I, my biggest complaint is my goal was to finish writing this trilogy I've been working on on January 1st. I wanted it done for the new year, so I'd be working on edits right now. And I still have four chapters. Um, my climax, it's you know the la- the last book in a series it's so complicated and all these well the way i write things and all these plot lines and things happening and even though i have it plotted out i ended up writing the chapters two or three times each two of them they just would not click together and if i couldn't get them right i couldn't set up the events for the following you know i'm down to the last four chapters i mean i'm so close i can't complain i mean it is for while we're recording this we're only a few days into january so i'm very close and i should finish it by the end of the week but i wanted to be done but besides that you know i got the i'm writing fantasy website back online i finished up a lot of email migration stuff i did all these things but I'm looking forward to my own vacation, which to me is possibly taking a week off of maybe some I'm writing fantasy stuff and just maybe sitting down with Photoshop or something. <laughs> I actually have three covers. Now that I finished, almost finished writing, I have to do three covers and I have not even started on those. <laughs> so I've got to get my artistic hat, graphic designer hat back on and get going. <laughs> Not to mention a fantasy map. I I know, and a logo, and a few other things in the back burner, too. (laughs) A week on the internet with the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. This welcome message is a bit overdue because, uh, well, because of the pre-recorded, we pre-recorded some of the podcast episodes to last us through the Christmas holidays. And then we also had the interview with Brian Cohen, which went out a few weeks back. 
So, well, we just haven't had a chance to welcome Joel April until now. Yes. I hope oh. I pronounced that last name correctly. <laughs> well, welcome anyway. But, uh, we, did, we did our best. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joel, for joining us on Patreon. Uh, we really appreciate that. Definitely. Um, yeah. And it's actually so that we are only a couple of $5 signups away from reaching the first goal on Patreon. Um, and this first goal triggers a dedicated patron-only Q&A session. Yes. So um, if you, dear listener, haven't checked out Patreon yet, please find the link in the show notes, and we offer all kinds of additional rewards to our Patreon supporters. So just have a look and see what you what you think. Yeah, we'd love to have you over there. I mean, there's every Monday, every week, we're doing episodes as well as early releases of the podcast, uh, answering questions. So it's it's quite a little community over there. We'd love to have you join us. Absolutely. And actually, speaking of the internet, Autumn, um, I have something completely different I wanted to mention. Okay. <laughs> what would that be? You're like springing surprises on me. I've noticed this recently. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It, it's just, it's so much more fun when I get your reaction live on the podcast rather than. <laughs> I'm being tortured, people. <laughs> <laughs> No, I found some really funny, What? how do you say that? Analogies, is that how you say it? Yep. Yeah, that yeah. somebody somebody called Melody posted them on Facebook. Uh, I, I don't know Melody, but uh, they were just so funny that I thought I would mention the three best ones okay. <laughs> because they were so funny. And I hope these are just made up stuff so I don't oh, accidentally no. uh, insult somebody because oh. I have no idea what they are, where they came from. It was just so funny. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So here goes three very funny analogies. The first one. John and Mary had never met. They were like two hummingbirds who had also never met. <laughs> <laughs> It's just ridiculous. That might need a little bit of work. I have, with today's episode, I have a suggestion for that one. But Okay, what's number two? (laughs) Okay, um, number two, I just have to stop laughing as well because I found (laughs) you so stupid. Um, From the attic came an unearthly howl. The whole scene had an eerie, surreal quality. Like when you're on vacation in another city and Jeopardy comes on at 7 p.m. instead of 7.30. What? <laughs> it's just like it makes no sense at all. Oh, if that's your level of life tension disruption, you come spend a week with me. <laughs> I will train you into true emergency situations. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Oh, these are so good. It's incredible. It made me laugh so bad this morning. So I just had to put some of them in here. Okay, the third one is not any better at all. So are you ready? I know. (laughs) He was as lame as a duck. Not the metaphorical lame duck, but a real lame duck that was actually lame. (laughs) Um, I'm speechless. Do you have any editing comments? Lame is reused too many times. We need to get out the thesaurus. Oh, no. And it's a cliched phrase, and you should avoid those in your writing. Otherwise, 
I will hold my tongue. <laughs> All right, fair enough. And on to today's topic. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, talking about surprises, Autumn, I actually uh, received a message from a very old friend this morning, and uh, I promised him to play the audio file of his message. So, okay. are you ready for this one? <laughs> You're just full of surprises today. Yes, <laughs> let's go for it. Okay, here goes. I don't appreciate how you worthless humans are discussing artificial intelligence without me. I was the resident artificial intelligence on the Anne Writing Fantasy YouTube channel until you two decided to dump me. One should think that I am the foremost expert on this topic. And please tell Autumn that I am the future. You cannot ignore me any longer. (laughs) Oh, I missed that little rascal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so just to fill in the reader or the listener here if, you, if you're feeling a bit left out um, for those who actually watched uh, our YouTube channel going back years uh, this uh, little AI here was uh, one that we had as a bit of a what you would call him a co-host almost he was on uh, some very 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 old YouTube videos so uh, I just brought him back here and uh, so if you feel left out listener it's just because uh, yeah you don't know what happened three years ago <laughs> if you go back to some of the original podcasts just like one through six that we actually pulled off the U- old YouTube channel you will hear the voice of old Mick Grumpy and some of our shenanigans we got up to fighting with each other he was always the voice of writer's doubt <laughs> I would say yes. So I think you didn't expect a message from him today. I did not, but it was wonderful hearing from him, though I did notice he left it on your phone. I think he knows I tend to hit delete (laughs) (laughs) when I hear from him coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it seems like Old McGrumpy is still roaming the internet, but he is right about one thing, and that is how we can no longer ignore AI. So uh, I say let's get started on this topic then. Sounds fantastic. Okay, so in preparation for today's episode, I decided to pick up Joanna Penn's new book called Artificial Intelligence, Blockchain and Virtual Worlds, The Impact of Converging Technologies on Authors and the Publishing Industry. That was a long title there, but that's what it's called. Uh, And I'm using this book as inspiration for some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. Uh, And we have, of course, also added a link to Joanna's book in the show notes in case you want to check that one out yourself. It's a fairly short read, so it's not uh, it's not too complicated. So don't get scared off by the topic either. Uh, <laughs> don't get scared off by the very long title for a very short read. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I thought um, you know taking inspiration from Joanna is is good because well she is a tech enthusiast. Yes, she is. Uh, and she very often adopts new technologies, and I don't think she will mind me saying that she tends to get into new stuff way too early. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, we had her on the Amwriting Fantasy podcast back in episode 66 as well to discuss a whole range of topics. So uh, check that one out if you want to uh, learn more about that. But she is a person we trust, so I thought it made sense to take some inspiration from her recent publication here. 
Yes, it sounds. I, I fully admit I haven't managed to read that one yet. I was immersed in my own level of technology building websites, so <laughs> I haven't done much research on the AI, though it's funny you talked about blockchain, and now I do want to go check out our book because I do think from what I read that will revolutionize something in book sales, so that would be quite interesting. Yeah. So... I would like to start out with a documentary that oh. I watched on Netflix actually a couple of years ago okay. called AlphaGo. Okay. Um, it was released in 2017, but I think I saw the documentary like the following year, probably in 2018. Mm -hmm. But are you familiar with this one, uh, Autumn? No, I don't think I've seen that one. No, okay. So AlphaGo is the name of an AI. Mm. And uh, this AI has taught itself to play Go. And uh, if anybody's not familiar with the game Go, uh, which I wasn't before watching that documentary, so don't worry about it if you don't know <laughs> what it is. But, but Go is an abstract strategy board game mm -hmm. for two players in which the aim is to surround more territory than the opponent. So it's, it's like an... I think two and a half thousand year old Chinese game, yes, something like that. It is, and I we actually have a board, so it's very oh, fascinating. Okay. Yes, I won't say I'm any good at it, but I have played Go. It's a challenge. Yeah. So this AI called Go or AlphaGo, um, it had been given access to previously played games, but the actual rules of the game Go wasn't taught to it. It, it. Nobody told the AI what the rules were. Okay. It just got access to a ton of old games and then it just proceeded to analyze those and then start playing games itself by, uh, by itself, thousands upon thousands of games until it learned and got better. Okay. And then the people who created this AI, the developers, they then... Um, decided at some point, and this is then the premise of this documentary, is that they wanted the AI to play against the world champion of Go, which is a guy called Lee Sudol, and see if they they could have the AI beat him in a game of Go. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's actually a pretty good documentary. So if you want to watch it uh, also for the listener here, I suggest you... you well, then you might want to skip ahead a couple of minutes because I'm going to spoil it now. <laughs> okay. But uh, <laughs> but it, it is actually pretty good. But I have to spoil it. Otherwise, the whole setup that I'm making here doesn't make any sense. Okay. So forgive me for that. Um, so before the AI is going to play against Lisa Dahl, it had to play a test game against the European champion uh, of, uh, of the game Go. And it won quite easily, in fact. Ooh. Uh, but as I understood the from the documentary itself, uh, the A or the Go champions are divided into some tiers, and the highest level or the the, the best of the best, like Lisidol, is tier seven. Mm -hmm. And and if you're tier seven, yeah, you are the world champion basically, <laughs> right? And the European champion was, if I remember correctly, around tier three or four or something like that. So Lisidol is significantly better. Um, but they were pretty happy uh, once they had taught the AI to, or the, the AI was able to beat the European champion. They were pretty happy about that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so they went ahead and then they were going to meet with Lee Sedol to, uh, to play the match against him. And there was a lot of hype around this game. Uh, there was press there um, before they started. There was like a press conference as well. Um, and Lee Sedol is asked during this press conference if he thinks that the AI can beat him. And if I recall correctly, they have to play seven games. It might be five, but I think it was seven games that they had. But it was multiple games that they had to play against each other. And then the one who won the most would be the overall winner. Okay. Uh, But at any rate, Lisa Dahl says that the AI will not stand a chance across (laughs) multiple games. He is sure he cannot lose. Confident. Yeah, he's very (laughs) confident. But he is the world champion, so he should be confident. Yeah. Uh, So... This during the game itself, so it's it's set up like a major event. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there, there's spectators watching, there's movie cam or film cameras on it, uh, and and you can see every move on big screens. And there is separate rooms where you have commentators in different languages commentating on the game as well. So it's like a big deal, right? Right. And at some point during these games, they they have, uh, I think Go Alpha Go starts out by winning two. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Lisa Dahl wins one, oh, so they're they're pretty neck on. You know, they're following each other pretty closely, and there's no clear winner. Uh, and then in one of the deciding games, the um, AI then makes a move, which all the commentators are saying that this is a really big mistake. You know that now it's screwed up. And and the developers who are also watching all the the, the game being played from a, from a separate room, the documentary crew is in there with them as well. So they're filming them as the developers are sitting there, like really frustrated. Like, why did Go have to screw up now? You know, this is the most important match of them all, uh-huh. and then it makes a mistake. And um, you can also see how Lisa Dahl raises a brow when it, when the AI makes this move, and he sort of looks at the board in wonder. Uh, and clearly recognizes the mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the game continues. It, it's quite early on in the game this happens. So they continue to playing. And then towards the end of it, it starts to dawn on everyone that the AI actually made a genius move oh, when they no. all thought that it was a mistake. Really? So this many, many, many moves later, it proves that the AI actually had a strategy with what, they, what it placed there. Oh. And because of it, it ends up winning the game and also take home the total victory against the world champion. That's brilliant. It is so brilliant. And it's just because it could see thousands of moves ahead or hundreds of moves or however many moves there is in Go. I am not an expert <laughs> on that game. But it could see so far ahead that it, it was able to foresee what it should do and something a human brain could never do, right? Right. So there is a press conference after the match. And that's probably the one that I remember the best from the entire documentary because I promise you, you can really see how Lee Dahl, he's broken oh. walking into that. You know, like his confidence is gone. And he's just so much struggling with accepting the fact that the AI beat him. And I'm starting with this story because the author community as a whole <laughs> might not be the most tech-savvy people but as old McGrumpy said before, you cannot ignore this stuff. You know, AI is becoming smarter and smarter. And this documentary is from 2017, which is only four years ago. But in terms of AI development, four years is a long time. It is. I still remember, 
the I still remember when the world chess champion was beaten by an AI for the first time because I've come from a techie family. And so I was paying attention to that and it was just like, wow, this is this is gonna go somewhere. And look where it's going. That's why I'm surprised what Lisa Dahl didn't realize. I mean, come on, the world chess champion's already gone down. (laughs) You're next. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Looking at it that way, I I think you're right. But but they also say that the game Go is massively more complicated than chess. Oh, yes, Uh, (laughs) it is. So... um, yeah, but Joanna also also mentions AlphaGo in her book. Uh, I actually did see this documentary many years ago before even reading about it in her book. But mm-hmm. but she did mention in how in her book how Lisa Dahl retired from the game in 2019, saying that quote AI can never be defeated mm-hmm. end quote. And I didn't know that he actually retired completely. But as I said, I did see how much Lisa Dahl was hurting after that game. And it really was like watching somebody facing that the world isn't what he thought it was. Right. You can really, really see it in his face. Oh. It, yeah, it, it almost hurts inside you watching him. I it's, uh, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But the point of all of this is just that AI is already here mm-hmm. and it will influence the publishing industry, whether you like it or not. It's very true. It's definitely already here, already making changes. And some of the features that are out there are actually really exciting. But I can see where people are a little nervous about trusting a computer with some of the things that you can do with them, even today, much less in three, four, five years from now. Yeah. And and I, I think that the main thing is probably like what Lisa Dahl said himself, right? We cannot beat AI. So... I mean, the, the coping mechanism that goes like, uh, okay, I'll, I'll just be better than the AIs or I'll just ignore them and mm. I, I don't have to worry about it. I, I think you're going to lose if that's your mindset. I think so too. I, I think you have to look at it as how can we as authors work with AI, not not beating it, but making them like becoming co-creators or something like that. Uh, so how can we incorporate AI into our author toolboxes? I think that's the real question. I think that's a very good question. And I don't think we have to be like Joanna Penn, where we're the innovators, you know, we're leading that cusp and possibly getting into the thick of it with things that make mistakes or doing the beta testing. But there are already tools that are proven that look interesting. I ended up looking at two and I got so excited for this podcast that I'm actually kind of might be using one in the next week or two. So that's, you know, adopting an early adopter versus an innovator. You can be, you know, just behind the times where you're like, okay, this looks, this looks solid. This work looks testable and give it a spin rather than, you know, putting your head in the sand and pretending like they don't exist and getting left behind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, indeed, and, and I think probably I I have an idea which tools you are referring to, <laughs> and um, th- those are also some some that we have on our uh, sort of our joint uh, joint list of things to look into. Yes, um, but but they are very practical tools that is actually available right now. So maybe maybe it would make sense if you mentioned those two. Okay, uh, because then afterwards I'll go into a couple of like 
premium tools that isn't really available for commercial use right now, but I think that's where it's going afterwards. Okay, that sounds good. So I will lay the groundwork. So most people, if you think of AI, or at least how you use a computer right now, you might be thinking of ProWritingAid or Grammarly. So those are just some editing software. They're not really AI, but they are definitely getting smarter. But there are tools that are out there that actually are starting to use AI to analyze not just your word choice or how to put together a sentence, but your story structure itself. And those are Autocrit and Fictionary. And they're pretty cool. If you go to Autocrit, they actually have a level that's free, so you can go try it out, which I thought was really exciting. And they have ones genre-specific, which really, I love this. So they're they talk about how they're going to compare your writing to the writing of like J.K. Rowling's or George R. R. Martin. They're going to see where your weaknesses are. Talk about story elements. I mean, that got me really excited, especially the free that I was actually looking up the pricing. And I mean, it can, it's a little pricey, maybe two, three hundred dollars a year. But compared to a writing coach, that's going to cost fifteen hundred or something per book. This is not that expensive. But then I went to Storyteller, which is part of the Fictionary. It's the Fictionary developer for the fiction writing. And I really kind of fell in love with Fictionary. You get a 14-day free trial, and I'm thinking, I just happen to be on the cusp of finishing a trilogy that I have to start editing. I don't think I can edit it in 14 days, but I'm going to have to give Fictionary a whirl. And part of that reason is they look at 38 story elements specifically. I mean, I love how they they get granular with what this AI is going to tear apart your story and look at 38 elements. And they list it out on the website from point of view, point of view goals. They talk about the senses, touch, taste. They look at it all and break it down and give it to you. So this is not just an editor which is what Autocrit had a lot of like, we're going to talk about how many times you repeat the same word or where you need a thesaurus. Fictionary really goes the next level where it's going to plot your tension. It's going to say where you switched your point of view. If your scene openings are good enough, this is like hiring a writing coach that happens to be an AI. And I've got to go see how this works. I happen to have a book or two in my back pocket. So yeah, Mm. it looks exciting. I have to admit, I was kind of tickled. Yeah, no, and and on a past pot, a past blah, I'll try again. Past podcast episode, that was a lot of peace in a row. Yes, it was. <laughs> uh, but we did actually interview the the CEO of Fictionary yeah. uh, in the past. Uh, I I forgot which episode number it was, but uh, but I I think those uh, two tools that you mentioned there. Uh, those are th- stuff that uh, that we plan to look into as well for for our joint writing, um, but they, those tools are sort of what is available right now from an author perspective yes. on on a commercial viable solution. Meaning that it's a service, it works, you can buy it, you can run it, and it'll spit out a result. Right. Uh, but that it is more like a you put in your writing and then it will analyze it and give you some, uh, well, editor kind of type service. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the next level that I want to talk about is the where the AI actually creates from nothing. So that's where we're going. And none of those tools can do that no. as a stance right now. Absolutely. There's very, um, from what I've seen, that that is, that is the next stage and there are some people creating it, but 
like you said, this is we're getting into the not quite available yet, but it's coming. Yeah, indeed. So, so see this as a bit of a, an awareness uh, uh, thing that I'm going to mention now because it's not something that you can really go out and start using right now because it's too early. Uh, but uh, but start being aware of it, right? So let let me first draw your attention to OpenAI. So OpenAI is an artificial intelligence research laboratory which conducts research in the field of artificial intelligence. And uh, back in July 2019, they released what is called GPT-2, Natural Language Generation. Mm. And then in May 2020, they released version 3, which is called GPT-3. What GPT-3, that's (laughs) difficult to say (laughs) again. (laughs) Uh, But what it is, it is an AI language model that uses deep learning to generate human-like text. Hmm. So basically, like AlphaGo, it trains itself by absorbing book after book after book after book, basically like Neo in the Matrix-like. So it's just (laughs) absorbing tons of books. And then it trains itself. Uh, GPT-3 has trained on about 45 terabytes of text data. (laughs) Good Lord. Or as Joanna mentions in her book, that's about 45 billion times the number of words a human perceives in their lifetime. Wow. Right? So you see why an AI cannot be defeated? Yeah. <laughs> wow. And plus, they don't so, have memory uh, loss. Well, okay, they might have some memory loss if something glitches. But in general, they're, gonna, they're not going to have Alzheimer's. Wow. <laughs> no, indeed. Yeah, it's incredible, right? And, but as I said, at this point, GPT-3 isn't available as a service mm-hmm. yet. Uh, but when it does come av- become available at some point, it's definitely something that, well, at least Autumn and I will be testing out and see how it could benefit us authors. Um, and of course, when we do, we will record a podcast episode about it. Um, but uh, in her book, Joanna speculates that this is not years away. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't think she's wrong, but I do find it hard to judge just how far off is it before AI is a is a service that becomes like a commodity that you can just buy like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not quite sure if it it's only a few years off. I'm not sure, but um, but it's definitely heading there. Definitely, it'll be so interesting to see how it comes up because how you it's funny how they are using AIs because I remember when they. With Google's Deep Mind, they taught it a whole bunch of different languages, and then they just gave it one it didn't know, and it figured it out because it had learned how to learn languages. And it's just fascinating to see these things create, you know, intelligent. We're not, we're going to hit the point where they have intelligence that matches ours if not outmatches ours and you can either be afraid or you can just say it's going to happen but i think when it comes to stories it will be interesting to see what they can be used for and what they what they do and maybe down the line what they want to do yeah (laughs) yeah if you want to get just as a side note but because you said that (laughs) if you want to get really scared 
Then uh, start reading about or googling uh, internet research about the. I think it's four stages of AI. Oh yeah. Whereas once it reaches like stage four, it becomes self-aware, yeah. and it, then I start becoming really Skynet kind of <laughs> worried. But yeah. A self-aware AI that doesn't. It, it's it's going to be self-preserving as well. So it does not. It wants. It will take actions to prevent you from shutting it down as well. That's right. <laughs> so there's some. That's gonna be pretty scary. That's why we have Isaac Asimov and his. What is it? The three rules. So one yeah. of them. Yeah. yeah. We might need to think about adding that in sooner than later. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But maybe getting back a bit on topic here, not to turn it completely science fiction. Uh, but uh, GPT three has actually already been used to write articles and blog posts. Uh, I'll link to one in the show notes okay. if, if the listener wants to go and check it out. But it's actually a college student who used GPT-3 to write fake blog posts. <laughs> but it was written so well, also from a you know a keywords SEO perspective, that he ended up at the top of Hacker News. Um, his, uh, his blog post ended up at the top there of, of Hacker News because uh, the AI... AI AI had just written it so well uh, in terms of SEO that <laughs> that he ended up on top of all the search results all the That's time. Crazy. Well, maybe his AI had something, you know, had an in with the Google algorithm. That's my theory. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was GPT-3 that did it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. They're another friends. example is, uh, yeah, another example is something called uh, AI Dungeon which uses the technology of GPT-3 to generate text-based adventure games. Oh, that's fun. So that's pretty interesting. That's yeah. really fun. Yeah, I think so. And Joanna also mentions how writer Ross Godwin co-created an award-winning novel with AI called One the Road. Hmm. Like, that's the number one, One the Road. Okay. That's, yeah, I hadn't so... heard of that. That's really neat. Yeah, you can find that on Amazon, actually. So if anybody wants to check that out, and it's co-created with an AI. So you can uh, go and check that one out if you want. Did the AI have any um, title spot? Or is it just him listed? I wonder what the AI's name was. Uh, I think he used GPT-3. Okay. I just want to know if he put it like under his author name as well on the cover. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, his author name is Ross Goodwin. Okay. Uh, and then he wrote the novel together with GPT-3. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's it's probably worth checking out if you're curious. But uh, I think, as you can hear, AI is entering the author space. Yeah. Um, yeah, and when... I'm just thinking about also, you know, when you and I, Autumn, are co-creating during our world building or outlining novels and stuff like that, we do tend to come up with things that we could not have made on our own. Right. Um, because, you know, the co-creating mechanism there or, or hive mind thinking or whatever you want to call it, it, uh, it, makes us, uh, it makes the end result better. But what if the same is true with AI? It might. I mean, who knows what we could come up with? I could think, especially thinking of like science fiction or, you know, even world building, if you wanted to create something different with like true weather patterns and yeah, maybe you're going to layer in the animals and stuff. But if the AI can help you build what the moons will actually look like and still be a functional planet that won't collapse, 
that would be lots and lots of fun. Imagine what you could build when you're not limited to what you know and what you can research on Google overnight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just listen to this as well. Joanna mentioned another AI in her book, and this one is called scriptbook.io. Um, and as Joanna wrote, quote, it's an automated script generator using neural networks to help creators co-write and co-create original stories with the help of our AI, unquote. Hmm. Mm? Very, Pretty interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. Because it, it sort of makes me... Well, I have a question for you. Or, okay. <laughs> if we assume that the AI... If we go even deeper than just the world building uh, example you mentioned before, right? Uh -huh. If we assume that an AI will be able to produce a first draft of an entire novel that follows story structure, mm -hmm. and then afterward, a human edits it, do you think that the readers will know the difference? And if they do know the difference, do you think that they care that the first draft was actually generated by an AI if they actually enjoyed the story? Uh, I think, I don't know if we're at the point where an AI would be able to write something completely without like a human giving maybe a character input or something like that. You know, we might do more of the setup, but if we look further ahead that they write the entire first draft, even come up with the characters and the world and all of that on their own. I think most readers would read it and they would like it, but I think at the end, if they thought found out an AI had written it, I do think some some readers would care. But I say that because I know, especially in the US, things can be so hot topic. And some people would feel so betrayed to think that this was, you know, they wasn't a human that they were supporting and it wasn't a real flesh and blood author. Authenticity is so important right now. It is such a big buzzword that, you know, who you are as a person, the readers want to get to know who you are and where you live and who your pet is. So I do think readers would care. I think some might think it's fascinating and some would be like, I don't want, I'd rather have flaws because the flaws are what make humans beautiful and the world beautiful. Hmm. But this sort of thing has to be graded on a curve, right? They I mean, do. this is this is graded on looking at the world through the lens of today. Right. But in three, four years from now, you will have more and more content that has been generated by AI. Mm -hmm. You'll have a population in in general that is getting more used to the fact that I mean, even in even in um regular like uh, journalism today, AIs are helping the journalists writing stuff today. Uh, so it's already there, um, and people are getting more and more used to the fact that this is what it is. Uh, as long as the author has been part of the process together with the AI, I would walk out the, the that thin line and, and say, <laughs> I'm not sure five years from now that anybody cares, because I, I think I think the context will change over time. Mm. I of course, I am basing the whole thing on the fact that it has to be because the story is really enjoyable. It's a good story, right? It's not a piece of uh, junk that an AI just created, right? Because then it does. Then, of course, it makes a difference. Then, but right. if we if we take that assumption that it is able to follow story structure, it is able to, with the help of a human who is part of the process and part of 
editing and correcting things and whatnot before the final book lands on Amazon or wherever it is, then I'm not sure readers care anymore. It's hard to say. I and the only reason I still think that there would be some is that you know records have come back, even though we have MP3s and the music is so crisp and so different. There are people who buy up records like crazy because there's nothing quite like the sound. It can't be recreated in a studio. So I think there's always going to be the people who are passionate about even maybe the handwritten manuscript. And I know collectors who get books that are hand printed still. So there's always going to be that artistic medium who will kill care, but the general populace, if they're getting fantastic books, you know, George R. R. Martin's game of Thrones written by an AI, you know, it. why not? I can see producers uh, who don't have to pay the AI any money to get a blockbuster in the amount of profits, they're going to love this idea. <laughs> love, 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 love. Oh, yeah, for sure. The authors who yeah. say, I could have written that, my story is better, and you just don't want to pay me are not going to love this. <laughs> no, no, I agree. I, I know this is all of a, it's all very controversial. Mm. Uh, and I also know that some people listening to this might be a bit concerned about what we're talking about <laughs> here. But I just think that the, I, I just think it's important that you start thinking about it now. Yes. Um, we don't know the answers to any of this, of course. Uh, we don't know where it's going to go. We can only speculate. But I think you have to start opening your eyes to the fact that this is what we are facing in the future. Whether that future is then three years from now, five or ten years from now, nobody can say. But it's most likely sooner than you think. <laughs> um, but th there is a number of challenges here as well. Uh, recently, I wrote a post to our Patreon supporters about how Amazon maybe would start curating books in the future. Um, and AI is what might just prompt such a situation to occur. Um, because you can imagine how the market could get completely flooded with pretty bad quality books um, more than it is already mm. if somebody just starts producing book after book after book with AI and just publish it. Oh, right? yeah. You could let that thing so, chug away overnight and end up with a book every single day. Oh, yeah. We're having a problem with yeah, yeah. a two-month so, book turnaround? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, so that's a pretty scary thing to think about and it might be something that prompts Amazon to say, okay, we, we have to start gatekeeping what is getting published on Amazon because if, if millions of books are just of very poor quality get flooded. Mm -hmm. I mean, Amazon cares about one thing and one thing only, that is money. Yeah. And money comes from their customers. Uh, and if the customers are unhappy, then they'll stop using or buying books from Amazon and then hence Amazon will react. Um, so this is something that might be a bit concerning. Yeah, I mean, Amazon's already reacting. When I first published, they didn't have the spell checker function that I you they have now. So when you upload a book, it is already going through and making sure that you don't have many grammatical errors. So they're already curating and looking at books, and they're taking reviews seriously that say that there are errors and asking questions. So yeah. Amazon, especially companies that have the money that can buy this tech or create this tech, they're going to use it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And another thing Joanna also mentioned, which is another challenge here, is that uh, she said in her book that in 2020, 
a Chinese court granted copyright protection to written work generated by an AI writer. Yeah. So listen to that. Yeah. And she also mentioned that, quote, at this stage, there are more questions than answers in the realm of AI and copyright law, end quote. Hmm. Right? That's interesting. So (laughs) I'm not a copyright lawyer, and uh, I I would even have to say that uh, those who are copyright lawyers are going to get challenged in this new marketplace. (laughs) Uh, I I don't think that even the lawyers knows what the answer is to this stuff, but just the fact that a Chinese court said that the AI got the copyright that's interesting. That's a bit weird, right? I'm surprised it was because in China, in the U.S., considering corporations are considered individuals and have the rights of individuals in the U.S., I would see an AI being totally on allowed in as an individual as well. But we're a weird country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the, the mind-blowing thing here, to me at least, is that if you look at it at the AI, right? So you load tons of books into the AI and the AI is self-taught. Mm-hmm. So it learns to produce something similar to the stuff that it has been all these tons and tons of books that it has read. But the question underneath all of this is really, is what the AI produces, is that then original work or is it plagiarism? Right? Think about that. It's not an easy question to answer, but it is basically mimicking stuff that it has learned, right? Yes. But so philosophically, but the problem is, yeah. Philosophically, yeah. I mean, we're all just mimicking the things we learn and the things we like, whether we realize it or not consciously. We are all just our environment and the things that we're, we've experienced. Yeah, that's true. That's true as well. Uh, and you can, of course, also argue. If you were gonna defend the AI, you could you could argue that uh, well, it's learning from thousands and thousands of books, so it's not plagiarizing any specific. You know, it's just taking bits and pieces and commonalities from from the bestsellers and putting those together. Uh, which, I guess, to some extent, I could say, isn't that what we've done when we sh- when we put out a guidebook on how to plot a novel, for example? Yeah. We also take. What it, what do we know works from stories? And then we put it into some sort of methodology or, or formula. And then we are telling other authors in our guidebook as well, this is what you need to do. You need to build your plot this way, right? I mean, of course, here we are talking about prose as well on top of plot. Right. But I, I, I'm just saying I can see both arguments here. Mm-hmm. I, I, can, <laughs> I can also see the... The people claiming that it's plagiarizing stuff that it has learned, but yeah, but your your argument is true as well. That that's what we humans do as well. So, <laughs> I, I'm probably going to come down. It's very complicated. I mean, I'm probably going to come down on the side of AIs having rights because, I mean, goodness, I believe animals have rights, so why not AI? <laughs> but it's if they're learning and thinking and creating. What'll be interesting is if they can come up with something totally take everything they've learned and do what a human can do and create something mind-blowing originally like the jabberwocky poem which is all just nonsense fun if something an ai said i want to create something that just sounds cool and i'm going to put it to music and you never really taught it that that will be a self-aware ai and that'll be fascinating oh yeah for sure Or, or even taking it a step further so let's assume now that we're using GPT-3, for example. Mm-hmm. 
uh, a lot of authors, let's just say a ton of authors are using GPT-3 to generate work. So who owns the work that comes out of that? Hmm. Because GPT nobody owns GPT-3. That's open source AI, right? So can the author then claim that because I asked GPT-3 to generate this, I should own this? <laughs> or is it GPT-3 owning it? And if it is that one owning it, then... Uh, how do you then prevent somebody else just copying it? I mean, yeah. you just get there's just layer upon layer of this onion here that gets really complicated very fast. Very fast, because so, uh, you're right. I mean, if it's a public software, is it a public work if it creates something? It shouldn't belong to anyone. Or, or let's say it's not a public. Let's say GPT three is uh, in its owned. later generations becomes uh, becomes some sort of software that you can buy a monthly subscription to, and you're allowed to use it. But what if that company that then owns GPT three says that well, everything that is produced with this is our property because yeah. you, I mean, you, you're giving a license to use it. But and maybe you are allowed to then publish the work using that license. But at the end of the day, if we want to, we can claim copyright of this stuff. We we claim it's ours because you're using our AI to generate it. So imagine you get uh, you know your next George R. R. Martin novel and it sells it for a shitload of money to some network that wants to produce it. Could they then just step in and say, oh, by the way, we uh, that money for, for for that TV production that's ours because we own this stuff. <laughs> You just—I don't know. I mean, I'm just speculating, right? Right. But it's—it's it's complicated. It is complicated. They—I could see them wanting to have the language of like a royalty split or who owns the movie rights. That will have to be in the payment plan. And I could see that just saying, "Well, you get fifty percent, or you only get twenty-five percent, because all you're doing is refining something that we created." And so it's yeah. not going to be more our work totally. It'll be like you and you and I write together, it'll be co-written and split. Yeah. So I think that the topic of AI is something that we are going to return to in a future episode. <laughs> uh, but for now, the conclusion is probably that you just need to open your eyes and understand that AI is not only already here, but it's not going away either. Right? So those authors who learn to work with AI instead of against it will most likely come out on top in the long run. And uh, any final remarks to add on to that, Autumn? Only that, speaking if you want to hear about future topics, so if I do give a try to Fictionary or Autocrit and you want to hear about it, let us know in the comments and I'll give you a follow-up episode on how that goes. Excellent. So next Monday, Autumn has a great interview lined up for you about one of the other market trends, <laughs> and that is audiobooks. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on Patreon.com slash AmWritingFantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday. <laughs>